0: people coming in here? People coming in, come on in, come on in. Halftime is over. Am I good? Am I on? Yeah, yeah? Are we okay? Well, thanks for bearing with me as I come and preach. I know it's been a couple weeks in a row. It's been four out of five. Uh, I will be uh, letting Josh take most of it from here on out, And, uh, but I'm glad that I could be with you uh, this afternoon. You know, there is something shocking uh, when standing in line for the Zip and Pippin. Okay? Is there something shocking about standing in line? For, if you don't know the Zip and Pippin, how, how do you guys know what the Zip and Pippin is? Okay? Yeah, most of you, okay? The Zip and Pippin, again, is Elvis's favorite roller coaster uh, that is now in Green Bay, Wisconsin at Bay Beach. And if you're in line for the Zip and Pippin, People are laughing, they're smiling, they're having a great time uh, and just talking away. And then you you see them, they get in the roller coaster, they're still laughing, having a great time. And then you see the roller coaster leave, and then the same people come back. And the laughing is kind of stopped. Now it's like this wide-eyed shock and hair blown back and all these things. like, what did I just experience? And the thing is... Do you really know, if you're really looking at what happens to people when they go on the Zippin' Pippin' are you looking at what is happening when they step off the platform onto the roller coaster? If you're really looking, you would see what happens to these people when they step off the platform onto the roller coaster to go on this crazy ride. Today someone else is going to warn us about our steps and what we're stepping into. He's not going to warn us about stepping into a roller coaster, but he's going to warn us about stepping into church. Do you know what you're getting into when you go to church? It's not wind-whipped hair or a wide-eyed look after riding a roller coaster But instead, it should be a look of standing in awe of God. Of his glory, of his presence, of his holiness. So my question for you guys this morning, to ponder as we go through Ecclesiastes, do you you know what you are getting into when you go to church? Do you know what you're getting into when you go to church, so let's look together, shall we? Ecclesiastes chapter five, verses one through seven. I don't. I'm in five fifty-five. Yeah, that's where you same ones. Good. I'm in five fifty-five, so everyone's kind of there. Hopefully, I think there's pew Bibles in your in uh, the pews. So here we go. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would listen well, that you would be able to speak to us this afternoon. And God, I pray that you again would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, so that when we come into your presence, we would come with awe and in fear and trembling, knowing how mighty you are. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, if you're just joining us, we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes. And the book of Ecclesiastes is really about what is the meaning of life. And the way that they find out this question, what is the meaning of life, is through the journey and quest of this man named Koheleth, which in Hebrew is um, Koheleth. In English, we translate it as the preacher. So here is the preacher, who is speaking to the assembly? And he is telling people about his experiences. And he is squeezing as much as he can out of life. He's exploring all the things of life pleasure, work. He's exploring what it means to have knowledge. And he's trying to find out is there a meaning to life through all these experiences, through all these things? And what we have seen so far in going through these four chapters is that he says to all this quest, all this journey, all this experience, there is just vanity. Vanity. It is meaningless. Again, we said that word in the Hebrew is vapor or smoke. And what he is saying is when I grab for meaning from work, Or try to grab meaning from pleasure. Or try to grab meaning from all this knowledge I'm gaining. And try to find meaning in life through any of those things. It just slips through my fingers. It is a vapor. So, here he is saying, under the sun, these things are meaningless. This is a word that's used many, many times in the book of Ecclesiastes, under the sun. What does he mean when he says, under the sun? What he means is if I just explore what's in the material world. I throw out the idea of transcendence. The idea of God. If all that there is is what is in the material world. Not what is above the sun. What is under the sun. Then life is meaningless. Well, maybe so far you've been jiving with the book. You've been connecting with it. You're like, man, Koheleth is right on. You can't find meaning in pleasure. You can't find meaning in work. You can't find meaning in just reading tons of books. And you're saying, preach it, preacher, because I hear you. But now Koheleth goes to church. Now he's coming to us. Right here in this place, he is coming to us. And he's saying, even in church, there is vanity. Even in church, there is meaninglessness. And if you're like me, you go, what are you saying? How can you say such a thing? That's blasphemy. Well, you have to understand, Koheleth, at that day, you know, he's speaking to Israelites in Israel. There was in Israel what we call civil religion, It was called being a card-carrying Israelite. If I'm just born in this country, I'm just part of these people. If I just do the sacrifices, if I just go to the temple, I'm good. And Kohel is saying, no. Don't just stroll up to the temple. Don't just stroll up and say, uh, I'm good, I'm fine. I was born an Israelite, I don't need to think about God. I don't need to think about transcendence. Kohel is saying even people that are going to the temple, even people that are going into the presence of God are acting like there is nothing above the sun, that everything is just under the sun. I'm going to say something that might shock you. Are you ready? There is not an invisible force field around this church that once you walk into this place, you automatically see the presence of God. That's just not the way it works. I mean, I'm sure you've met many times, the church isn't, you know, the steeple, it's the people, right? All those kind of things, you know. Yeah, it's the people of God. It's not the building. But at the same time, we walk into this place. To encounter God. To talk to God. To sing songs to him. All these things. But have we really prepared ourselves? Have we really, what Kohela says, have we really guarded our steps before coming into this place? Have you truly guarded your steps before coming into this place? And here is a little bit of the trouble. This is like, Stepping off the platform onto the roller coaster. This is stepping into church. Here's some of the trouble when you come into a place like this. Here's one. The first trouble is this foolishness and folly can happen anywhere under the sun, even in church. foolishness and folly can happen anywhere under the sun. Even in church. Even people walking into this place cannot really understand what it means to see transcendence in the Lord. Number two, why should you guard your steps? Because fools and people that are full of folly run amok in the church. Jesus talked about this quite a bit, that even in the visible church, there is the weeds and the wheat. Even in church, you have people that might not be walking with the Lord. Well, maybe I've scared you a little bit. You've had trepidation that now you're here, you've stepped into church. How do I know if I'm a fool or not? Here's two more things for you. So listen, these are kind of the things you should look at during the sermon. How do I know if I'm being a fool by coming into church? Well, one way you can be a fool by coming to church is believing your words are more important than God's. That's number one. Number two, you come to church with your own agenda. So number one, believing your words are more important than God's. And number two, coming to church with your own agenda. So let's look together, shall we? Are we looking in the word? Let's take a look. Verse one again, second part. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Now, Kohalath is not saying that sacrifice is bad, he's saying the sacrifice of fools is bad. What is the sacrifice of a fool? It's someone that comes in and says, if I do the sacrifice, if I do these check off the boxes of coming to church, then I'm good. If I come to church saying, here I am, this is what I bring to God, we are coming to church with the wrong approach. Again, the key word in all of chapter 4 and chapter 5 is the one word, Better. Better. When Kohela says something is better, he's saying, I want to see something that is above the sun, not just what is under the sun. See, it's foolish to think that I'm the one coming to God, to church. I have something to offer. Kohela says, this is what's better. What is better? It is better to listen. To listen. I wonder, do we come to church, to tell God what is up. God, I just want to tell you what's up about life. I want to tell you what I'm doing, what's going on, where I want to be headed, all the things that, what is up, I'm going to tell you. It's kind of like that conversation you're going to have with a kid or a coworker that you've mapped out all that you're going to say. You know, you've written it down, so you want to be very clear about what you communicate to your kids. This is wrong. This is the way you should act. Or maybe a confrontation with a coworker or whoever it might be. I'm going to lay out all the things I want to communicate to you right now about what you need to be doing. I can offer God something, and this is what's so sad. I, I'm sorry, if you read Ecclesiastes, and you read Koheleth, he just paints a very sad picture. And the sad picture he paints here is, here are people that have come to the temple time and time again with sacrifices and checking the boxes. And what happens? Look with me, please. Verse 1. For they do not even know that they are doing evil. They think that they are doing the right thing that they are worshiping God, that they are truly living above the sun, but in fact, they are doing evil, even by entering into church and what they are doing. And he goes on, verse 3, for a dream comes with much much business, and a fool's voice with many words. Um, Here, he's giving a little analogy or a, a parallelism. And in that day, or even today, Freud would say the same thing: the, the busier you are, the more work you've been doing, the more you're kind of wrestling through things, the more dreams you have. And that was the understanding in, in Israelite history that the more you were working, the more busy you were, the more things you were doing in toil, the more dreams you had. And he says, okay, with much work comes much dreams. In the same way, with many words is a fool. With many words is a fool. Maybe an analogy that would work well. With much air conditioning rattling comes much heat. So in the same way, he's trying to say, with many words that people come to the Lord saying... I come to you, here I am, this is what I have, and I have, and not listening, that is foolishness. And Kohela, through this whole first section, is pointing out a great irony. Here these people are trying to find, to come to God, to come to the temple, to hear from Him. And they're not even listening to Him. They're busy spouting off their own thoughts and their own ideas. Okay, I've explained enough. Let me illustrate it a little bit, shall we? Maybe you've heard this parable before, but there was two men, and they were walking in New York City, and the ambulances are going, the taxi cabs are going, people are walking all through the street. It's so loud and bustling. And one of the men from the country says, I hear something. I hear a cricket. Another man says, no way. There's no way through all of this city noise that you can hear a cricket. And the man, he walks over to the other side of the street. And in this concrete jungle, he reaches behind this maybe concrete wall. And he finds this cricket and he picks it up. And the other man goes, there is no way. You have supernatural hearing. How could you hear this cricket? And the man responds, my ears are no different than yours. And he says, it all depends what you're listening to. That man with the cricket in one hand reaches his pocket with the other. And he pulls out some coins. And he takes the coins and he throws them on the ground. And all the people walking around turn right away towards the coins. And he says, you see, it all depends what your ears are attuned to listen to. Do you listen to the Lord? Through all this noise, all the bombardment of life, all the kids, and all those things that you're having to deal with, can you listen to God? I wonder if it's even harder in our age... Especially when we are full of talking points. Different tribes, different groups informing us this is the word of the Lord. Whether we hear it on Facebook or whether we say, oh, the New York Times, this is telling me what I should believe about how the world operates. Or no, maybe it's on the other side. Fox News is giving me the talking points I need to hear about how life works. And then what do we do? We take these talking points that have been flooded into our minds and we say, this is the word of God. And then we bring them to church and say, Pastor, you better, you better reinforce the talking points that I'm hearing on Facebook. Or the talking points I'm hearing from these articles. You better reinforce them. I'm sorry, but that is not listening to God. Are we ready to listen to the voice of God and what He says? This is His Word. This is what He has given us to speak to us. Have you opened it lately? Have you read it? Have you meditated on it? Have you let the Spirit of God that is in you illuminate the Word into your heart? And have you let the body of Christ help reinforce the truth of the gospel in your life? Do you listen? I don't think the preacher here is attacking singing at church or the fellowship break where we're talking or any of those things. I think what he is criticizing is the haste, the arrogance, the impatience we have... To listening to what God has to say to us, even when it's hard to hear. Are we people truly listening, or are we busy playing church? Are we being shaped by what is above the sun? Okay, practical application maybe you've checked out, you want to know how this applies to life. I do wonder why do we come to church? Is it for social time? Is it for good music? Is it because this guy that's up here is really fun to listen to? Josh or whoever it might be. If you come to church because of good speaking, good music, or whatever it might be, I don't think you're coming with the right perspective. See, the God of the universe is speaking to you. And challenging your behaviors, your passions. And he wants that to be why you come. So that you might see that there is something more than just what is under the sun. Okay, let's move on, shall we? Let's look at verses 4 through 6. Okay? When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Here are more and more words. You see, with much talk comes vows. Here's one thing about vows. They're promises before God to perform an act. A vow is a promise before God to perform an act. We have marriage vows. If you have a baptism up here, you have um, parents saying, I'm going to raise this child in the admonition of the Lord. You have membership vows that say, I'm going to abide by the church. But it's more than just that that he's talking about. He's not warning against vows. He's warning against not fulfilling vows. Again, he uses the word better than. It's better than Better to not make a vow at all than to make a vow and not fulfill it. And then he says, don't make this vow and then break it. And then messenger would come to you and say, what are you doing? See, in that time of day in Israelite culture, there would be messengers that would affirm the vow that you kept. So if you said, I'm going to pay a certain tithe or I'm going to do a certain thing, there would be people that hold you accountable messengers to make sure you did it I just could imagine how that would go nowadays right but I do wonder when you go to a wedding and you sit and you affirm that you believe this couple should get married and they make vows and they make it before God do you come to them when it's hard and difficult in their marriage and they're thinking about breaking their vows do you You know, those are awkward conversations, aren't they? It should make us take more consideration to what we pledged before the Lord. And that's the heart of the matter here. Koheleth is showing what a bigger problem is. These people are coming to the Lord and saying, I'll do that and I'll do that. And they do not realize that there is a God that is above the sun that is holding them accountable when no one else is around, when no one else will sees what really they're doing and fulfilling what they said they were going to do. You see, if there is nothing above the sun, if there is no God that is omnipresent, that can see us in all aspects of life, who cares if you keep the vow or not? No one sees. No one sees what you say. When no one else is around. No one sees what, how, how much you're actually giving. No one sees if you really, or what you're saying or doing. No one sees, but if there's a God that's above the sun, then when you make pledges, it does matter. There are consequences. I have a friend. We got married at the same time. Uh, same summer. Summer of 01. Oh, one. He called me uh, about two months ago and uh, told me that he and his wife were getting a divorce. And she said to him, you know what? We had a good run. That was her reply 17 years into marriage. We had a good run. We had three kids. It was a good shot. imagine the pain that my friend is going through as his wife leaves him and his three boys. But what he noticed and what he talked about is what coincided with her breaking these vows, that her attendance and her belief that there was a transcendent God just slowly went away and she stopped going to church and stopped being accountable to other people and then this kind of opinion happened. So both these things were happening around the same time. That makes sense. If there is not a God that holds you accountable to what you say and what you do, if there is not a standard that you have to live by, when things get hard, who cares? Why fight for it? If there is not something above the sun to keep us accountable to, So that said, when you come to the presence of God, when you come to church, are you slow to speak? You see, it's sometimes hard to fulfill a vow. It's hard to fulfill a promise that you've made. And when you believe that there is a God that is above you that's holding you accountable to your promise. You can start facing up to it and say, God, help me through the vow that I've made. Now, when you are questioning whether I should break the vow that I made, the promises that I've made. Maybe it floods back to your mind. All these songs I sing on Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning. All this pious talk I give. It actually means something. It's actually true. There's a God that actually cares about the decisions I make, the choices I make, when no one else is watching. Well, maybe I've thoroughly scared you of not making any vows or saying anything at church now. Maybe that's how you feel. And maybe I hope you don't walk away and say, great, maybe I should not say anything anymore. No, that's not what the preacher is saying. What he's saying is, what you say actually does matter. What actually you pledge does matter, because there is something above the sun. And therefore, when you are saying things to God, and you are listening to God, there is a God that actually cares what you're saying and you're doing. And the hope is that you, by fulfilling your vows, would show a watching world that actually there's a standard you're living by because you believe there's a God above the sun that is holding you to it, even when it's difficult. That you would show the world when your marriage is hard, when church is difficult, that you still love, that you still stick by it. Okay, let me just, you've heard these two things, here we go. Let me just kind of land the plane here. If you've been going through Ecclesiastes with us, you might think this book is kind of flippant. Or just downright depressing. Some people have argued that Koheleth is just an existentialist. What you mean by existentialist is someone that says, our values don't come from outside of ourselves. They come from within ourselves. That's where we find meaning and purpose, just within ourselves. And our identity doesn't come from a supernatural being. Our identity comes from our own feelings and what we want. Right? Is, is that the mantra you hear nowadays in culture, right? Our identity comes from our own feelings and what we want. And if you read Koheleth and you read Ecclesiastes, when he says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die, you think, that sounds like this guy is just saying existentialism is the way to go. But hear me. Koheleth is taking us on the journey of existentialism to show us that that does not have meaning and purpose. He is taking on this, us on this journey to show there is no meaning and purpose in it. And he's going to say right here he's saying even in the church we can fall into this trap. This trap of identity about what we feel and what we want rather than listening to God and abiding by him and under him and going through confirmation that it is more than that. And he marvelled at this this paradox. How could people just flippantly look at God in this way after God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to save us from our sins? How could people see this as just trivial? It's a great book. I suggested it to James. Anyone can read it. It's uh, Kierkegaard, um, A Christian Missionary to Christians. And that's really what he was in Denmark And the truth is, I think Kiergaard was a prophet. You might not know this, but in Denmark, 80% today, 80% of people, Danish people, identify with Christianity. They say they belong to membership to a church. But this is what's shocking. 3% of the Danish population actually regularly attend church. 3%. If those 80% of people that say they are members of a church, 28% of them believe there actually is a God. How does that happen? How does that happen? Well, Kohela saw it. Kierkegaard saw it. And I wonder if that same culture might permeate Oshkosh or Appleton, or the Fox Valley, where everyone's a Christian, right? Baptized, everyone goes to church. All my neighbors say, they're Christians. We have great conversations about it. I say, oh, yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, I belong to that church, my neighbor. I said, well, when was the last time you were there, about four years ago. And I remember, this is probably a very shocking conversation. Maybe you've had these conversations, too. Here are my neighbors that say that they are Christians. And I'm talking to them and processing the gospel with them and working through hard things in their life and my life and everything like that. And I remember what one of my neighbors said to me. A person that says they're a Christian and they go to church. This is what this neighbor said to me. She said, it seems to me that you actually believe this stuff is true. It seems to me that you actually believe this stuff is true. Do you see vanity, vanity is the church if it is not true? If there is nothing above the sun, then we are in a pointless exercise. And if you are a part of a church plant like this, that is not easy work. This makes a horrible hobby. This is a horrible hobby to be a part of. Do we believe that there is someone above the sun? Do we believe when we come here, To this place, he listens to us and cares for us. That he wants to speak to us that what we say actually matters. Do we believe that? Again, some of you might be saying, great. How can I approach God? I know I've said a bunch of nonsense in my life. Look at me, I just blabber up here and talk and talk and talk. I've made vows that I have not kept. How do I approach a God like this knowing that who I am and what I have done? Well, let me give you one last thing to close with. Here are two people that approach the temple. Approach God. One is a fool. And one is one that fears the Lord. I want you to identify which one is which as I read this. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like that that tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And this is what Jesus said. This man who went down to his house, this tax collector, was justified. Rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled... But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I will close with this statement The one who fears God humbles himself to God's voice and to God's leading, not their own. That is the person that can see above the sun. Is that how you approach God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be people that guard our steps when we come to this place. That we would listen to you how you direct us and teach us. That we would see that there is life above the sun. And that might lead us to awe. That might lead us to humility. In your son's name we pray. Amen.